I hope everyone had a wonderful Christmas time. I, I did. I spent it uh, with my family. We have the tradition of just watching movies all day long, uh, well, me, and uh, building puzzles. We completed two. Uh, it was uh, a goal that we have never accomplished before. Uh, I think, from my understanding, it's quite a common tradition to watch movies during the Christmas time. Uh, something that I find quite interesting is that quite a few people watch Harry Potter, uh, at least the people that I know. Um, it's not a Christmas movie, but I think maybe it's just because it's so long. Um, I think it's the longest series really after Star Wars, if you count them all. Uh, Harry Potter isn't my uh, part of my tradition in Christmas, but it is the only book that I've ever read more than once. Next, after the Bible. <laughs> Next to the Bible. And it, it's just a great story. And one of my favorite stories is at the very beginning. Um, let me set it up for you if, if you're not familiar with it. Uh, you know, Harry Potter, British boy. Uh, parents died when he was young. Uh, he lives in a spacious Vancouver-sized uh, apartment uh, underneath his mean uncle and aunt's uh, staircase. And he doesn't have a lot to, to look forward to in life. But... Near his 11th birthday, letters start coming in uh, to invite him to, to wizard school. But his aunt and uncle don't want him to, to catch wind of that and get involved, and so they, they take him away to some remote place on the, the edge of, of England. However, that doesn't stop Harry's soon-to-be friend Hagrid from flying on his motorbike, uh, crashing in, and saying what... I think are some of the most iconic uh, words of, of Harry Potter literature. You're a wizard, Harry. In that moment, Harry's world changes. It's, it's, it's flipped upside down. Harry has received, has found out his, his new identity, or, or maybe more accurately, his, his true identity. And with that, a, a new calling, a new vocation, a new life. When I first read Harry Potter in grade five and all the way up until I was 21, I have a distinct memory of being on the bus at, uh, on the way to UBC, looking into the, to the forest and, and still wishing, wanting, maybe even praying to God uh, that Hagrid that somebody would come barge into my life and tell me that I was somebody, somebody else, something else. Anyone else? You don't have to raise your hand. So don't just, anyone else share, share that feeling, that the desire? Uh, maybe not Harry Potter. Uh, we'll bring it back a little bit. Uh, Anne Hathaway in uh, The Princess Diaries. Anyone wish to have been a secret royalty? Uh, Luke Skywalker in Star Wars. Uh, Neo in The Matrix. If you go to the young adult section in the bookstore, you're going to find tons of books with this common theme of young people finding out that they're actually somebody else. Uh, and, and that leads them to a, a calling, uh, a new vocation, and uh, maybe even, usually, saving the world or at least making a difference. Would it be a stretch 
to to suggest that there's something deep within the human spirit, at least in the the young person, in the child's soul, that wants a, a, a life and identity more than the one that the world gives us. The six passages we uh, read, uh, thank you, Beth, that we just read from, are from nine letters written by the Apostle Paul to churches. And as we read them, as, as Beth read them, you may have noticed two things. The first one is not important, but I'm proud of it. Uh, they're at the beginning of the letter, and the, it's chapter 1 and verse 1, 1-1, one, one, like the date today. Maybe... The only time that's going to happen. Uh, proud of myself for making that happen. Uh, second thing that's more important is that Paul addresses the church every time as saints. Not a word I think that we use regularly, if, if ever. Paul doesn't use words that I think we normally use, like Christian or, or believers or, or children of God. Oh, it's already up there. Uh, the word saint used in the Bible, uh, in the Bible, used to describe the people of God is used 103 times, uh, Old Testament and New Testament. Uh, the word believers or the faithful is used 37. Uh, child of God, 10. And Christian, a whopping 3. In First uh, Peter... 115, the Apostle Peter uses the exact same words to actually name God. God is the, the, the capital S saint, the capital H holy, capital O one. And that should cause us to pause and ask, why would Paul, why does the Bible describe a group of people that we know are not perfect as saints? If uh, you've read some of the letters, you'll know that Paul is not congratulating the church on being morally superior to the world or or perfect. Um, A lot of the letters are written in response to to major problems that are going on in the church. Um, The church wasn't perfect. What I think Paul is doing is what Hagrid sort of did. Paul is addressing a mysterious reality that we are saints and yet at the same time called to be saints. As Harry is a wizard and yet also not yet a wizard, so too are we saints and yet not yet saints called to be saints. To continue, I think we need to ask, what does it mean to be a saint? What does it mean to be a holy one? The word um, saint uh, comes is in Greek is hagios. And... Um, this word can be better translated um, as the holy ones or the most holy things. Hagios stems from uh, the word hagos, uh, which is the root word for basically every time you read holy in the New Testament. Um, 
Yeah. And, and so let's begin by acknowledging that the word holy or holiness can bring up some negative feelings, feelings of guilt, of, of shame in uh, maybe some families or, or churches that equated to, to morality, to particularly to, to sexual purity. Uh, it could be not having fun, not enjoying life. It could be uh, being at church all the time. Uh, I want to, at least for our, our time together, try to, 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 to table that uh, for the time being, uh, and invite you to consider some other interpretations, some other definitions. And so the first one that I want to provide is uh, by Gordon Smith, the president of Ambrose University and Seminary. And in his book, Called to be Saints, he suggests, he he says that uh, sainthood, holiness, consists of four things. Wisdom, love, joy, and good works. That to be a holy, to be a saint, is to be a person whose wisdom, whose thoughts are are grounded in the wisdom of Christ, whose love is um, sincere and sacrificial and and servant-hearted, whose joy is um, not determined by circumstance and, and who is joyful even in the midst of a broken and confusing world. And a saint is a person of good works, of a person whose activity, whose, whose works do good in the world, who blesses people. Jonathan Edwards described holiness as the infinite beauty and excellence of God's nature. Back to Christmas movies, uh, It's a Wonderful Life is, in my opinion, the greatest Christmas movie of all time. If you want to argue that with me afterwards, I'm happy to have that conversation. Uh, the second one is Elf. Uh, you can probably more argue against that one. Uh, but in It's a Wonderful Life, if you haven't, if you haven't watched it, I, I think... By now, you, you, you should. In case you haven't, let's just get on the same page of what it's about. Uh, George Bailey has a financial problem uh, that occurs at his business uh, around Christmas time, and he's, he's desperate, he's in turmoil, he goes to the bar, he drinks a lot, and comes to the conclusion that his life is uh, better off, he's better off dead than alive, and that at least with his life insurance, he can recover the business. Upon his jump, his guardian angel, Clarence, rescues him. And Clarence the angel shows George Bailey a life in which he never existed. And what George finds out is that his uncle is institutionalized in the hospital, um, his brother drowned um, when, the, when he was a kid. Uh, his friend is put into prison for manslaughter. His, his wife is alone and deeply unhappy. Uh, 
after this sort of vision, this dream experience, he returns to the real world, realizes that life isn't so bad, he's going to find a way, he goes back home, is, is met with this big party that wants to help him out. Uh, his brother comes, toasts him and says, George is the richest man in town. And he finds a book by, uh, from Clarence who says, that says in it, remember, no man is a failure who has friends. I think it's obvious why this is the greatest Christmas movie of all time. The, the moral, the message is clear, is that the, our, what the world says defines as a, a good life, a, a successful life, is not, is not true. Um, but that a, a holy life, a life of, of blessing others, is a wonderful life. That being a wise person, a loving, joyful, fruitful person is a good and most beautiful thing. And so as we continue, whenever I say holy, holiness, saint, let's try to, to, to again table what we may have thought the word meant before and to, to hold on to what Smith said, what Edwards said, what Clarence the Angel said. I grew up in a relatively healthy, loving home. Uh, love my mom, love my dad. Uh, they're good people, but they not perfect. Uh, like like every parent, no nobody's perfect. I hope no one's no one's offended by by me saying that. Uh, they had they had their faults. Uh, two examples. Uh, mom, whenever it snows, will text me to make sure that I don't drive in the snow. Uh, appreciate, appreciate the worry, appreciate the concern, but, you know, I've been, I'm born here, you know, born, raised in, in Vancouver, and I know I'm not good at driving in the snow. And I know everyone else is, I isn't either. And so, like, mom, like, you know, have more, more faith in me that I will not do this very very dangerous thing. Um, my dad, in grade 12, found out from his friend that uh, a friend of mine, my dad's friend's grandson, got a, a small scholarship to university. And uh, this is not, not, a, not a brag, but I, I, I did pretty, pretty well in s- school, and uh, I, I, I had got a, a few more. Um, that's the, that's 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 beside the point. That's beside the point. My my dad, when we were driving home, though, just brought it up and said, "How come you didn't get any?" And that hurt because he didn't he didn't first ask if I had gotten any. He kind of assumed that I didn't. And and so my my point, what I'm trying to say is that I think. As much as our parents can love us in the sense of caring for us, worrying about us, supporting us, I think we need more than that. Um, I think, at least looking at my own life, I could have used a little more expectations. Not worldly expectations, like, you know, be a doctor, lawyer, whatever, um, but parents who 
saw what was in me, saw my gifts, my passions, and actively tried to, to draw that out of me and, and to, to lead me into becoming uh, who, they, who they believed I could be. The Scottish author, pastor, and mentor to C.S. Lewis, George MacDonald, once wrote that every parent is pleased with their baby's first attempt to walk, but uh, no parent would be satisfied with anything less than their child walking and running. And in the same way, God is easy to please, but hard to satisfy. That's not to say that God has this impossible standard or expectation for us to to achieve, um, to, to, to be perfect, but rather God in his love for us um, desires nothing more than our flourishing and our becoming um, of who we can be. A couple weeks ago, we brought to attention one of our youth, who I'll call James, who uh, over the last five years has made and sold cards and has raised over $30,000 to charity. Now, uh, I know I work at a church and I think I know a lot of good people and I'll say this kid, this person is a saint. I don't know if all kids are saints. From my talking to other parents, I, I hear that's, that's hit or miss. Um, but James, like, like every child, I, I think, you can look at the ones here, if, if there's one around you, Ch- children have, have potential, right? And I want you to think about James, think about a child next to you, your own child, child in your life, and just imagine if they couldn't live up to that potential, that they couldn't become what you know that they can be. Leon Bloy was a French Catholic writer, and he wrote that the only great tragedy in life is to not become a saint. You know, however we feel about our child or a child, I want you to imagine how much more God feels that way about each of us. We're all, well, uh, most of us here are adults. Um, you know, we, we've grown up, we, 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 we do things, you know, uh, we, we, we have a roof overhead, etc., etc. Et um, but in reality, we, we're still children. We're God's children beaming with potential. And God desires and delights in, in nothing more, like every parent, in seeing uh, his children uh, become all that they can be, to become who God designed us to be. But as any parent, as any spouse, as any person who's ever loved someone and seen something great in them knows, uh, becoming that person isn't easy. Uh, that there is certainly God's part, but there's also the, the individual's part. G. 
Jesus said that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And I think what that means for us is that a a good life, a a wonderful life, can't be determined and, and defined on our own as much as the world or our culture would like to tell us that we can. I think that requires us to, if we take the words of Jesus seriously, to seek this truth, to seek this this way, to seek this life and understand it. Jesus is the the all-caps saint, the the all-caps holy one. And I think that in order to become a holy one, we have to behold the holy one. We have to to behold, we have to look at Jesus as presented in the scriptures. The apostle Paul wrote, every part of scripture is God-breathed. This is the message translation. And useful one way or another, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. Through the word, we are put together and shaped up for the tasks God has for us. If you're familiar with the the creation story, uh, Genesis story, um, God created two people, uh, Adam and Eve as they're known, man and woman, humanity. And uh, before there were any Ten Commandments, the Bible, God just had one one commandment, one, one, one rule out of, that's it. And that was not to eat from the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. The devil, though, comes, the tempter comes, and the devil tries to attempt humanity by eating from the tree. And the devil's tactic is to say, did God really say that? Fast forward many years later, Jesus uh, is in the wilderness and he's battling the devil. And the devil is tempting Jesus to worship other things than God by using scripture. But Jesus responds with the accurate use of scripture, saying, it is written, it is written, it is written. We live in a world that... Uh, asks us, did God really say that? Uh, Silicon Valley, uh, D.C., uh, Ottawa, Vancouver, academia, Hollywood, our family of origin, almost everything and everyone says to us, did God really say that? And even often uses scripture to back that point. For this reason, I think more than ever, though it's always been important in, in this time and, and place in the world for, for the church to, to read and, and to read well, to, to really know and understand scripture and, and what God says about, about life and about who he is and about who we are, to actively counteract uh, what James K. Smith will say is the deformation 
we experience in the world, to resist the formation the world is having on us. The Apostle Paul writes, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let me try to uh, give an illustration of, of how reading has really, I think, benefited me, blessed me, and, and I like to think blessed others. Um, for a season, I was a uh, secret, um, uh, for, a se- for a season, I was what was called uh, a soft complementarian, secretly. Uh, that's not the position of 10th, um, uh, and so that's why I say secret. And the, I say soft uh, because it, I, this is a soft form of a popular belief in, in the church that reads particular scriptures um, and interprets them to say that women in the church can't be elders, they can't hold the highest level of authority in the church. Uh, some would say that they can't hold the title of pastor or maybe to teach on a Sunday. And as I said, I was soft on it. I wasn't hard about it. I wasn't passionate about it. I would not teach about it. I didn't think it was a, a, an important issue or, or a big deal. It was kind of a tomato-tomato thing, um, a non-issue. Uh, however, what I can only attribute to, to God's work in, in my life, uh, he brought some books into, uh, into it. Uh, John Stackhouse, this is Partners in Christ, uh, Alice Matthews' Gender Roles and the People of God, uh, and more recently, Beth Allison Barr's The Biblical, The Making of Biblical Womanhood. And after each reading, I've been more and more convinced that my interpretation, my understanding of that was, was incorrect before. Um, that it's not a non-issue. That it is actually an important issue. And um, I came, kind of come to the conclusion that, that yes, women can um, take on any level of leadership in the household and in the church. And that anything different can, not for all, but can um, lead to a false femininity and a false masculinity, which leads, I think, not all, but some uh, women and men to not becoming all that they can be, to, to, God, to who God designed them to be. Uh, as a result... Uh, in, in the churches I follow online, the sermons I listen to, the books I read, um, I try my best to align myself with those who to agree with this. Um, I, I have a lot more that, that I can do, but I think uh, being intentional with who I learn from is a good start. This doesn't mean I'm canceling anybody. I want it to be, be clear. Um, I will still read from, from others. Um, uh, I, I love my complementarian brothers and sisters and, res- and appreciate a lot of what they offer the church. But when I can, I want to invest my, my time and my resources in, 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 in people and ideas that I think really 
benefit the, the church and the world. If picking up the Bible or a book and just reading it may sound daunting to you, don't worry, you're not alone. Uh, it has been the, 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 the frustration of, of my pastoral ministry in trying to get people to read. Uh, so don't worry. Um, I also don't, don't think about reading every minute of my life. Uh, I have to force myself to at times. Uh, growth, the renewal of our, our minds is not easy. It's, it's hard work. N.T. Wright says, growth doesn't come by accident. It comes through the self-discipline required to do anything in life really well. To learn a musical instrument, to mend a tractor, to give a lecture, to run an orphanage, or indeed to live as a wise human being. Again and again, when you're working hard at a difficult or complex task, the mind will try to jump away to focus instead on something easier or more enticing. And again and again, if you're going to get the job done, you have to force your mind back onto the job and away from the distraction. And the mental muscles you require if you're going to do that have to be trained just as much as physical muscles do when you're working up for sustained and strenuous exercise. Uh, if, if you feel like at all press, at all desiring, could be this like this little, uh, to, 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 to make reading, of whether of scripture or of books, part of your New Year's resolutions or goals or uh, what we call here our rule of life, uh, may encourage you to, to connect with me afterwards. I love nothing more than working with people in finding, uh, discovering a, a plan and a pace that would best help them. It's kind of like if we want to get into fitness again, uh, we see a trainer, and that person helps us uh, with, a, with a plan and a pace, but ultimately it's, it's up to us. To conclude, uh, since I've been talking a lot about reading and understanding scripture, I want to take us back to uh, the scriptures that Beth so uh, wonderfully read to us. Uh, I want to point out two things. Uh, do we? There we go, thank you. I want to point out two things. In every reference to the church, to us as saints, Paul in the same breath recognizes our belovedness, God's love for us, and our in Christness, our belonging to Christ. And what that means is that our our pursuit of holiness is not done alone. We've spent a month celebrating uh, God's coming, God's with usness, Emmanuel. And, and, and so, uh, and we haven't got to Pentecost yet, but for those of you who are familiar with that, that event, God's Spirit is with us and in us. And then, secondly, a good thing to always remember is that these letters were written to communities, not to individuals. And that means that our, our pursuit of holiness is never to be done in a vacuum, alone. It's to be done in the context of the church, 
of spiritual friendships. Although genuine effort uh, and work is required, unfortunately, um, in, in, in this pursuit of a, of a holy, wonderful, beautiful, excellent life, the call to sainthood is not a command to, to pull up our bootstraps by ourselves and to just be better, be holy as I am holy, to, to, to grow up. But it's this loving invitation, this loving call. We are people called by Christ in the presence and the power of Christ to follow the way of Christ under the truth of Christ, to live the life of Christ together as the body of Christ for the kingdom and the glory of Christ. That is our calling as saints and to be saints. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you um, for a new day, a new year, your new mercies. You are good and you love us. Help us to, to remember that your love for us is not just without condition. That there is nothing that we can do or say that would make you love us less or love us more. But help us to remember also that your love is filled with anticipation. That you are the good, loving parent who sees each of us and desires and delights in nothing more than our flourishing than our becoming holy, in our becoming all that we can be. Thank you, God. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.